Good morning, St. Andrew. Lisa and Austin, thank you. I, uh, that was a blessing uh, to hear your hearts this morning. Um, we are talking about King David's mighty men today. And I thought the timing seemed perfectly appropriate as this Memorial Weekend where we honor all those who served and died protecting our freedom. And uh, we're going to learn about what the mighty men did for David. So I want to start by reading from 2 Samuel chapter 23. And I'll read verses 8 through 17. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joseph Bathshebeth, a Tacklonite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800, which he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodu, son of Ahohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the man of Israel withdrew. He rose. day and the man returned after him only to strip the slain and next to him was Shema the son of Gi the Herite the Philistines gathered together at Leah where there was a plot of ground full of lentils and the man fled from the Philistines but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines and the Lord worked a great victory and three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of the Delam, where a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the man who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Those who know me know I love King David in the Old Testament, and uh, so uh, here we go. Uh, that was the word of God. Let's have a prayer. Holy God, great and mighty you are. Uh, you have gifted each one of us, and we uh, want to learn today of, of some of that service and how we can use uh, these gifts for your glory. I pray that you'll... Uh, Open our hearts to your word. I pray that everything I say will be accurate. And all this I pray now in Christ's name. Amen. Now, mighty men don't just crawl out of the womb mighty. So my first question was, how did they become mighty? And for that answer, we have to go back to 1 Samuel. And I'm going to read chapter 22, the first couple of verses of that. And the word says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. So 
for you guys don't remember the story, uh, the question was, why was David hiding in the cave? Um, you may recall that the prophet Samuel anointed David at a very early age. Um, but it wasn't yet his time to take the throne. So the reigning king of Israel, which was Saul, he had, uh, he had some anger issues, I guess. And uh, he attempted to kill David numerous times. So David had to flee for his life to Israel's arch enemy, the Philistines. So he sought refuge there in the, in the capital city of Gath. And the king's advisors said to the king of Gath, Achish, um, and I uh, paraphrase, are you completely nuts? This guy killed Goliath. He's our arch enemy. Why are we harboring him? So to save his life, David pretended he was insane. And I think in one of the funnier passages in the Bible, King Achish says, behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madman that you have brought him to me? So when your country doesn't want you and your enemy's country doesn't want you and you're on the run and you feel hopeless, uh, where do you go? I suppose you find a cave right on the enemy border, about 12 miles away, and you hide out there. And I think right there is a great lesson. When sovereign God takes away everything from us and he brings us to nothing it's not to end our life but it's to restart it it's to reroute it it's to uh, restart it um, and look what God did he brings people uh, to David who are worse off than he was and you know that's something that uh, I always told our kids it's, it's hard to feel sorry for yourself when there's those, those around you who are worse off than you and um, we see that God plans his kindness and his love long beforehand. He had put together these circumstances, uh, directed them long in advance in order to bring this uh, bit of relief, this ray of, of light to David's present distress. It wasn't anything David set in place. You know, he didn't go down to the, if they had that thing, local outlaw biker bar and uh, say, fellas, if I'm ever on the run, come find me. Uh, no, it was grace, pure grace. I think it was a gift that God arranged long in advance for David. And so that's how David ended up in a cave full of uh, motley discontents, malcontents, people who couldn't pay their bills. Those presumably because of wrongs and mistreatments were bitter. They were resentful. And they had bad attitudes, they had chips on probably both shoulders, but these were the raw materials that God and David transformed into David's mighty men that we just read about. And I thought, boy, what phenomenal training David must have poured into these guys. You know, tactical training, spiritual training, obviously, advanced weaponry, discipline, skills that resulted in arguably some of the mightiest warriors in all of history. And then David, when he became king, we'll read later on that these misfits, they became the key members of his cabinet. They became his counselors, his trusted bodyguards, uh, his military leaders, his staff. And if the ultimate test of leadership is reproducing leaders, and I actually think it is, then David was the greatest leader that we read about in the Bible. 
What an example for us. Take what God provides and make the absolute best of it. It struck me that none of us are too old, and we're not too old, we're not too poor, uh, we're not too limited physically to do mighty works for God. And we probably need to stop saying, I can't or I, I don't know how, or I'll do that, I'll volunteer when I, when I retire. Uh, God took David from one of his lowest points, gave him the, at that time the scum of the earth, and he and God turned them into mighty men. So that's the origin. That's how they got started. Now, as we go along here, um, the Bible seems to like lists. And that's what we just saw here in chapter 20, uh, 23. My tendency a lot of times is to skip over those lists. But I think it's the wrong thing to do. You know, in Hebrews 11, we have what they call the Hall of Faith, the great heroes of the faith. Here in 2 Samuel 23, um, I call it the Hall of Fighters. It's the recognition of those mighty warriors who loyally served David and his kingdom. It's really an honor roll of kingdom servants, um, and their names are listed because they excelled in their calling, which was fighting for David's kingdom. And since David was God's anointed, these mighty men were really, in my view, fighting for the kingdom of God. And these kingdom servants were the elite of what they did. And through their heroic efforts, 2 Samuel 7 tells us that David and all Israel were at rest. They were at peace from their enemies. So these men excelled in their calling. And that made me pause and think about. And maybe what you guys can be challenged to think about. What is my calling? And do I excel at it? Now, if you don't like the word calling, you can substitute role or function or job here in the body. What is my role in this body? Do I excel at it? If I'm an elder, a deacon, if I'm an usher, if I'm a children worship leader, a greeter, a musician, whatever it is, God has gifted us all. Are we maximizing that gift? Or am I just getting by? Am I just doing the minimum? I'm doing nothing. I always enjoyed uh, Dr. Bob Edwards. He's a longtime St. Andrew Sunday School teacher. And uh, uh, he used to always talk about a, a monk named Father Lawrence. Some of you may recall that. And Father Lawrence seemed to fail at every task he was given. And so they finally put him in the kitchen. It's the lowest job they could give him. And he had to wash the pots and pans in the kitchen. But he washed them so thoroughly that they just gleamed. And they asked Father Lawrence, why he was so meticulous and he said he saw his role as washing for christ jesus himself and i thought about how that would change my perspective if i was standing at the door as a greeter and i had the perspective that i was welcoming jesus himself to saint andrew how would that make a difference there's lots of mighty exploits in chapter 23 um, and i would love to talk about them all but I'm just going to talk about verses 13 to 17 today. And as a reminder, we talk about the Old Testament and how the, all of the Old Testament points to Christ. Um, so as you read this, uh, as, you, as you go through this lesson today, uh, think about that. I think too, um, uh, too often uh, we read the Bible as a story 
uh, or maybe as an example for us. Uh, but uh, as we go through this, keep in mind that every prophet points to the true prophet. Uh, you know, every priest points to the great high priest. Every hero is pointing to the true hero. And every servant is pointing to that true servant. It's all about him. And we are a new creation. Our lives are new. Our hope is secure because of what Christ did for us. So think about that and what the true hero has done as we look at this passage today. And as we first read this, in verse 15, David is asking for water. So the first question is, was David physically thirsty? And no, he, he couldn't have been. There had to be an abundant water supply there, a spring or a stream, uh, or they wouldn't have survived. So you, you have to have water to live, obviously. So what is going on here? What could have possibly compelled those three mighty men, against all odds, to risk their lives for water from the well of Bethlehem? So then I wondered, well, did, did David order them to go? No, it didn't seem so. He, did he double-dog dare them? Did he insult their manhood? Did he you know, challenge them or promise a life without paying taxes like Saul did? I think the answer to all that is no. It says David said longingly, maybe wistfully. Why? What was it about that well at Bethlehem? It was, like we said, 12 to 15 miles away. It couldn't have been that amazing of water. I think that David was just as human as you and I, and even a man after God's own heart. He gets discouraged. He gets depressed. Maybe even questions the promises of God. I know that happens to me sometimes. I think he was thirsty, and he was wrestling with thirst. I think it was spiritual thirst, not physical thirst. The Davidic covenant says that he would be a deliverer and ruler of Israel with a line that would go on the throne forever. And David may have been thinking, how can that be, God? I'm once again hiding in my favorite cave. There are enemy multitudes between me and Jerusalem. I'm so weak, I can't even get a drink from my hometown well. Defeat seemed inevitable, not if, but when. So I, it probably wasn't an order, it wasn't a challenge, but it was more like a resigned sigh of, of anguish. His longing for a drink was demonstrative of his doubts of remaining king. And I think it called into question, is God really with me? Is God really with me? So maybe to David, the uh, water from the well of Bethlehem represented, represented God's grace and God's favor. Now we're told in this passage that of the 30 were three, the mightiest of the 30. And presumably they hear David's longing and immediately realize the significance of it. David is losing hope. He's questioning whether he will ever be able to defeat the Philistines. He's wondering if he'll ever again stop by his boyhood home for a drink of water. Maybe he's wondering if his children would have to grow up speaking Philistine. 
And then we get to verse 16, and it reads, Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. Talk about Captain Understatement, Bible narrator. You're kidding me. That's all you got? They broke through the camp and drew water? Man, this was an epic scene. No, they fought their way in, inch by inch, against overwhelming numbers, uphill, finally to the gate, then finally to the well. Now, they're down one-third because one of them has to draw the water from the well, fill the, the skin, and the other two are now left fighting off the enemy. So then, carrying the water back out, through the whole camp again, and the federal Philistines have got to be scratching their heads wondering, what just happened? Why did they come in here? Did they, they're looking for gold? Did they try to rescue a hostage? Did they take a, a prize prisoner? prisoner? No, just for water. And picture this, what a sight that had to be when they returned to camp to David. Three mighty men. Here they are covered in dirt, blood, sweat. They're exhausted. 25-mile round trip. And they deliver that water skin triumphantly to David. And David pours the water out. He pours the water out. They risk their lives, and he doesn't take a sip. Hmm. Why? Because David turned it into a drink offering before the Lord as an act of worship. David knows that since God protected the three mighty men, he is with me. These three mighty men can break through the enemy lines and return a miracle. David knew, the mighty man knew, I think the entire Israel. Israelite army knew that God was with them, that they would defeat the Philistine army. I think it was probably the turning point in the war, maybe even in David's life as a king. Um, they, the commentators think this was pretty early as, uh, as when he was a king, when this actually happened. So what we see here is that the three mighty men bet their very lives on that Davidic promise, on the promise of God. And I wondered, am I willing to do that? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to live our lives? Are we willing to lose our lives in light of God's promises? I think that's our first lesson. Trusting in that promise of God brings victories. It may not be in this life, but it's certainly a victory. Trust in those promises. I remember years ago driving to the airport in Fort Wayne to fly to Minneapolis to take a, a legal deposition regarding a serious accident that occurred in, in our canopy division. I was really stressed. I felt the weight of the world uh, on my shoulders. I wasn't sure the business was actually going to survive. And I heard on WBCL um, the burst of the day. It was one of my go-tos to this day. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And at that time, that promise was critical. Uh, to me. Sometime I'll, I'll tell that whole story. Um, but where we have the mighty man drawing water from the well, I think it's a great story. But I think there's some really good lessons here. And so we'll go through a couple more of those. Um, 
Second thing I see here is that we need to pour it out. Pour it out before the Lord. Now, what does that mean? I think anything I think I have done, anything I think I have earned, anything I think I have won, everything that I have is a gift of God. It's not mine, it's God's. I'm just a steward of it. It wasn't the mighty man's super fighting skills that got them through the Philistine stronghold. It was pure grace. A belief in God and faith in that Davidic covenant, even when King David had his doubts. You know, think of Landon Mary's friend, Garrett Cole, the major league pitcher with the $300 million contract who likes to sit in my chair in their condo. Did he earn that golden arm? You know, almost a once-in-a-generation gift. Uh, he certainly maximized it, but God gave that to him. Pour it out. Pour those gifts out before the Lord. If God blesses you with wealth, be humble and generous, not proud and selfish. Is there something you think you have earned or something you think you have deserved? You're a steward of it. Your gift of singing, your good looks, your analytical mind, your health, whatever it is, pour it out before God. Bless others with God's gifts. And the final lesson one of the commentators mentioned was respond like the mighty men. To me, that means that David's longing, just a word in passing, was their command. It made no difference whether it was an order or a suggestion or just wistful thinking. They immediately responded. And I wondered why. And it's probably the difference between a religious person and a Christian. Difference between a Pharisee and a disciple. Uh, do I live to follow rules or do I live to love and glorify God? The mighty man, they understood David's heart, his longing, and they wanted to please him. Is our reward God's delight? Are we wanting to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant? Or do I just pride myself in rule following? You know, as, a, as an employer, as a boss, uh, it's, it's hard to love that employee, or employee who says, you know, that's not in my job description. Or you don't pay me enough to do that. Or the handbook says... Um, but I love the person who brings solutions, who understands me, who looks for better ways, who knows something, how something should be done uh, before, uh, without being told. So I think to respond like a mighty man is to respond out of love, to respond out of devotion. They would help transform them from outcasts to the elite. They were grateful and loyal as a result. How much more so us? We have been transformed. We are a new creation. We serve a God, a mighty God, a God who knows our longing, a God who knows our hearts, hearts that cry out for that living water. We serve a God who broke through the enemy lines, not risking his life, but the cost of his life. We serve a God who poured out his life on the cross for us. And there is no longer condemnation because we have absolute assurance, absolute certainty that God is with us today and we will be with him in all of eternity. We serve a God who triumphed over death 
He did that for me. He did that for all of you. He is the mighty man. He is the hero. There's therefore no condemnation. And I think when we really grasp what he did for us at infinite cost, then our service becomes an act of worship. And that's when we eagerly and joyfully and gladly pour out everything at his feet. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Almighty God, King of kings, Lord of lords, you have indeed gifted each of your children with innumerable riches. You have given us that promise that we'll spend eternity with you, that uh, uh, every tear will be dried and, and every hurt relieved uh, someday. And Lord, we look and yearn for that day when we indeed will be with you. We thank you for this people, uh, St. Andrew, for these uh, family that we have here. Uh, we pray that, uh, that we can pour out these gifts and in that way worship you and glorify you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.